welcome to the Chronic Sex Podcast. Chronic Sex talks about how self-love, relationships, sex, and sexuality are all affected by chronic illness and disability. That's not all, though. We'll also touch on intersectionality, social justice, empathy, current events, and much, much more. Given the range of subject matter, this podcast is not suitable for those under the age of 18, and unless you have headphones, you probably shouldn't be listening to us at work. My name's Kirsten Schultz, and I'm your host. Hey, 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 it's episode three of the second season of the podcast. Yay! Um, I wanted to take this episode to kind of go over some housekeeping things, but before I do that, I want to thank um, my patrons over at patreon.com slash chronic sex. Um, that would be E. Latrice, Rafe, Michelle, Nico, and Andrew. I'm so excited that you guys help out with the show. It really means a lot, and honestly, it helps pay for the very expensive SoundCloud hosting, so <laughs> it's a good thing. Um, also, my guinea pigs, Gus Gus and Jacques, are very excited as I'm starting to record the podcast downstairs instead of up in our loft because of mobility stuff. So if you hear any water bottle noises or chirping or hay rustling, uh, that's definitely them. <laughs> I am not recording from a barn, uh, but they're, they're excited because they get to watch me work and or nap, try to nap while I'm talking. Um, so like I said, I wanted to use today's episode to talk more about some housekeeping things and some upcoming events that I will be a part of. Um, first things first, if you go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash chronically sexy, um, and click on our events tab, you can see a couple of events that I've added, um, and we, you can get tickets for those, um, at the end of this month, February, I will be presenting with some of my favorite people in the entire world um, at the Playground Conference up in Toronto, Canada. Um, and we have a panel that I should have titled better, but it's called Chronic Pain and Disability. Um, and that would be me. Um, Andrew Gerza of the Disability After Dark podcast, Ren Graybert, Mari Ramsawak. I suck at saying last names. I'm sorry, Mari. Um, and Rachel Rose, who writes Hedonish. Um, and we're all going to come together and talk about what it is like to, you know, exist in this world as someone dealing with chronic illness, chronic pain, or disability. So we're going to talk about you know, mainly since it's a sexuality conference about dating, about ableism we experience in, in dating or even in queer and sex positive spaces. Um, but we're also going to talk about some fun stuff too, <laughs> you know, favorite sex toys, um, favorite experiences we've had, some of that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, make sure you visit the Facebook page because it'll have all the details, but that's February 25th up in Toronto at the Holiday Inn Toronto Downtown Center, the Playground Conference. Um, I'll actually be back up in the Toronto area um, about a week and a half later uh, to do a, like, 
TV interview, <laughs> um, which I'm pretty excited about. And um, the night of my interview, I'll be hosting a workshop at Good For Her, which, by the way, just so you are aware, the workshop space is on the second floor and there is no elevator or anything like that. There are stairs. So please keep that in mind if you're looking at coming. Um, but I will be presenting there on Wednesday, March 7th at 7 p.m. Um, and you can, again, find tickets for that at goodforher.com or um, there's a link to it from our Facebook page. But I'll be talking about... Um, how pain disorders can affect sexuality, whether that's from a chronic illness um, or a disability, and ways we can fight back um, and and kind of reclaim our sexuality a little bit. And that should run, um, we've got two and a half hours. I do not think it will run that long, but (laughs) you never know. Um, Tickets to that, I believe, are $35. And then um, towards the end of March, I'll actually be presenting closer to home in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at Planned Parenthood's Safe, Healthy, Strong Conference. Um, Again, it'll be that same presentation, Hurts So Good. And I'm really excited for that because um, I think I've talked about a little bit when I was in high school, um, I got really, really involved with Planned Parenthood, did a lot of volunteering with them, a lot of gold calling, which is actually terrifying now that I look back at it. But, you know, they they really helped me a lot in writing my senior paper in high school, um, which I wrote on, like, sexuality in the media and then sex education. It was really two papers, but that's why I got a D on it. But D's get degrees, so it's fine. Anyway, (laughs) tangent. Um... But yeah, that's Wednesday, March 21st at 3 p.m. in Milwaukee. And you can snag tickets to that too. Um, I also do want to mention I will be at Klexicon um, in Las Vegas the first weekend of April. I'm really, really excited about that. Um, I'm trying not to freak out because (laughs) um, right now we're, we're raising money for it and you know, we're getting a good amount. Uh, but one of the people, uh, several really notable people have um, donated money to our campaign. But uh, one of the people who donated is Emily Andrus, who is the main writer for my favorite show in the entire fucking world, Winona Earp. Um, so I didn't sleep the night before last because I got so excited <laughs> that I just, I couldn't sleep. Um, I eventually slept. I just couldn't sleep right when I wanted to. Um, But that's um, the first weekend in February. I will be actually a part of two panels. Um, The one we are fundraising for is about queer disability representation in the media. And I'm really, really, really excited about that. Um, It is a panel that's put together by Elizabeth Janelle. Um, and we'll have Annie Sagara, famous YouTube person, and Joseph Dunn as a part of it as well. Um, and my friend Bree made these amazing shirts. I'm going to link to them in the show notes so you can take a look at them. But they are Accessibility Matters shirts, and they're rainbow colored. <laughs> like, these shirts are so cool. My husband, like, 
is getting one because he's very excited about that. So I'll just tell you a little bit about the design because it's really cool. Um, and thanks to Brie for putting this image description in there, but it's uh, a white or a gray shirt, depending on um, the style you get. Like, there's baseball tees and things like that, but but the t-shirts are white or gray. And then um, there's a large rainbow-striped graphic with four segments showing the following symbols. Uh, a person propelling a wheelchair, hands signing ASL, an outline of a human head with a brain to symbolize invisible illness, mental illness, and neurodiversity, and then a person with a cane in one hand and a service dog harness in the other, and then underneath that, in black text, um, it says accessibility matters. And I have one of the original shirts that Brie created with these, but I'm very, very excited um, to get my rainbow one because it's just absolutely fucking gorgeous. Um, and my husband and I can be twinsies. It'll be great. I think this is actually one of the first um, disability-related t-shirts that he's really wanted to get. I mean, you know, we've done arthritis foundation walks to cure arthritis and things like that. So he's gotten shirts, but I don't think he's gone out of his way to to get a shirt. So um, I'm really, really excited about that. Um, so again, I'll put the link to that where you can um, snag that shirt and then all the proceeds go to... Um, help those of us who are traveling to this conference. And then the second thing is that we have a GoFundMe for that, which is how my queen, the amazing Emily Andrus donated. Um, and, you know, we're, we're raising a good amount of money. Um, it's, it's very, very helpful to get um, because, you know, a lot of us have accessibility needs that make things like taxis and stuff more costly. So it's um, really, really beneficial to have that extra money. And I just realized I didn't talk about what Klexicon is. <laughs> the me from last year would like erase this and start all over, but I'm, I'm not doing that. Um, <laughs> but Klexicon is basically a Comic-Con, but it's aimed at the inclusion of queer people. So it's... Um, Named after two um, stars of the show, The 100, I believe, um, that were in a queer relationship. And then, of course, like they always do, except for Winona Earp. Thank you, God, Emily. Um, but they, you know, kill off one of the characters because they can't just let queer people exist and be in love. So <laughs> this, this conference was... Um, you know, set up to kind of talk about that kind of stuff and aim to get more queer inclusion and things. Um, and Elizabeth put together this panel and I was uh, lucky enough to be asked to join it. I'm very, very excited. Um, and, you know, the I could go on and on and I don't want to like you know, make anybody feel bad if they can't donate money. That's totally fine. Um, but I do want to, again, just let you guys know, like, this is, I think, the only real disability-related panel that's going to be at Klexicon. Um, and it, it would be really cool to be able to um, have a little bit of extra money while we're there so that we can eat well um, and not just rely on granola bars or terrible Vegas buffet food. Actually, I don't know how the buffet food is in Vegas because I've not been. I grew, so I was born in Reno, which is a couple hours away, but 
I've never been to Vegas. Hmm. I think, well, I might have been in the airport at one point, but not like <laughs> there, there. Anyways, that's um a long, long story to say. That's one panel I'll be on um, at Clexicon. And then I will also be on another panel with a couple of other sex educators um, called Let's Get Clitorate, aimed at queer inclusive sex education that panel is for people 18 and up only um but i'm very excited to be a part of that because um the other two panelists are people that i have absolutely adored for a long time um and i am very 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 excited (laughs) um and I don't know, you know, what times those panels are going to be or anything. So, um, just to, if, if you're interested in that, you know, make sure you keep on top of our, um, events tab over on Facebook. You can follow the page without liking it in case that's something that you're concerned about. Um, cause I know like people can see what you like and stuff like that. And that could be awkward. Um, you know, if your mother-in-law sees that you like this page, then you might have to do some talking. But, um, that's kind of, that gets us, uh, through the beginning of April. And I have a couple of other conferences that I've applied to. Um, and then we have, um, in July, Polly Dallas, which is, uh, in Dallas. (laughs) And, and we're doing a, um, a panel, not a panel, a workshop, um, Rachel Rose, Ren Graber, and I on, um, polyamory. So, and, and how that plays with illnesses. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that one. We're working on putting it together right now, and I think it'll be really, 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 really fun. Um, and I'm trying to bring up the, title because it's absolutely fucking amazing. (laughs) It is, um, my husband came up with it. He is so good at this stuff, but it's called illness me and polyamory makes three and then in parentheses or more. (laughs) So it, um, you know, talks about how chronic pain conditions, disability, illness, um, can affect your sex life and sexuality. Obviously we'll go over some of the basics of that, but, um, the, the panel will be more aimed at how that affects polyamory and ethical non-monogamy, whether that's something that gets people into that, whether that's, you know, something that an abled partner has asked for, etc. Um, we'll have a really active discussion and come away with a better understanding of roadblocks that chronically amazing people face when considering an open relationship. Um and again, that will be at Poly Dallas in July of this year. It's actually <laughs> the weekend of my husband's birthday. Um, so the July 13th through the 15th. I'm really excited because I should be there, I think, a couple days early because my best, best, best friend in the entire world um, recently moved to Dallas. And it will be really, really nice to be able to see her while I am there. Um so that's events so far. <laughs> um, a couple of other housekeeping things. There is um, a Me Too related chat being held by um, Emily Liddell and 
Alice Wong, who runs the Disvisibility um, Twitter handle and, and site. And that will be Wednesday the 21st at 7 p.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, and, and you can follow at Disvisibility on Twitter or at Rooted in Rights um, to, to kind of check out more about the chat. Um, and what they're actually talking about is um, Me Too stuff, but in disability and chronic illness communities. And um, I do want to share a little bit of my story um, since I was touching it up today about um, Me Too stuff in patient, you know, centered spaces. Um Last year, in February, I started to publicly discuss a sexual predator within patient communities. Um, his initials are AB. That is all I will say. Um, I have brought it up again recently in light of the Me Too stuff and uh, got not a great response. But um, I want to kind of start from the beginning. And there is a blog post about this that I'll link to in the show notes as well. Um, when this person began following me on Twitter, because we're both in the rheumatic disease community, um, you know, he would make comments of a quote unquote playful nature that kind of escalated over time. And the first time I got one of these comments was not too long after, I think, or too long before, somewhere around the time, um, when I got engaged to my husband. And so I kind of like shot back like, Hey, I don't appreciate that. Like, I am in a long-term relationship, and that's the, these kind of comments are not what I'm here for. Um, and he responded, said something about how that was just how he interacted with people, and you know, whatever. And against my better judgment, I let it go because he was friends with some very big names in um, various arthritis communities, and you know, I I didn't want to burn bridges essentially. Um, and I should have, but I didn't. <laughs> Over the years, um, this man's harassment got worse. Um, he would send messages to very young women in the early years of their college careers or even in high school um, that are a part of the arthritis community and um, has made very inappropriate comments about young girls in middle and high school looking hot um, who are, again, members of the arthritis community, and, and he's done this on, on social media, so it's not like you won't encounter those comments. It's not like they were done in private. Um, mo- most, of, most of all of this um, was on social media, like I just said. He um, has harassed young women, cornered them at conferences and events, sent text messages and messages again on Facebook and things to patients asking how he can get into bed with them. Um, he, he just revamped his website and removed some of the very inflammatory posts, but um, he, he wrote a post not too long ago talking about how since he's a white guy who's cisgender, he'll just never get it and no one wants to listen to him. Very men's rights activist um, language and very much, uh, frankly, I think, aimed at the fact that I am not cisgender. Um, 
He even went so far as to label people who fight for justice negatively as Kirstens. So this is not uh, this is not a great thing. <laughs> um, in the past, other patients have tried to step in and help him understand that it's not okay um, to make comments about sleeping with people. Uh, even jokingly, that it's inappropriate, that people do not appreciate it, and that it's a misuse of his power when he is in positions of power. Um, and, you know, eventually he burned all of those bridges, unfortunately, for everyone involved, I think, because if he actually would listen, it would have been great, but whatever. Um... You know, it it took a long time for me to feel comfortable discussing these kinds of things, even among friends, um, because everybody, you know, tries to to support everybody else. And it's, um, I'm already seen as kind of a bitch and troublemaker. In fact, this person called me a bitch to my face um, at a major medical conference that he was working uh, for. And, uh, Got no repercussions from it, frankly. Um, the, he would attack me on Twitter, telling me to get over my PTSD, which he now um, recently has been diagnosed with himself, uh, oddly enough. And other patients, people that I've trusted, um, would join in, label me as hateful and rude for my responses when somebody is attacking the experiences I've been through and basically saying that I must not have PTSD because they don't understand. Um, and that's very hurtful. It takes a lot of courage and a lot of strength for me to speak out about abuse that I've been through and um, some of the scarier moments of my life. And to have people that I trusted, people that I looked up to, tell me that I'm just raging or that I need to go calm down or I should just delete my social media or whatever is upsetting, uh, to say the least, and really turned a lot of my world upside down at a time when I needed support at a time when I was struggling with my mental health and instead of being a friend about it, um, you know, being a dick, (laughs) essentially. Um, I try not to use genitalia as as negative things, but goddamn. Um, You know, I, I, I began talking to some friends about this and they would be like, oh, yeah, I always got a weird vibe or oh, yeah, I've had weird interactions with him, too. Um, But instead of, I guess, siding with me and many other victims, even some of these people themselves, um, they would and do maintain active friendships with these people, with with this person, even after telling me they didn't. it is beyond frustrating to see these kinds of things, especially when these patients have echoed similar situations. And it tells me a lot, frankly, about what people think of those of us who have spoken out about this man and how that stigma against those of us who 
have said something um, pushes other people who have been through similar experiences to not talk. Um, That stigma, just like with anything else, is absolutely horrifying. Um, Like I said, I, I kind of talked about this in February of last year. And um, I want to read something that I wrote at that time that really um, rings true even more now with the Me Too movement. Um, and, and thanks to Tarana Burke for creating that, you know, over a decade ago and working on that. Um, and anyway, this is it's one of those things where you go back and read it and you go like, hot damn, like, this sounds good. And I'm not that kind of person about my own writing. Um, People who call these issues out aren't trying to stage a witch hunt. That's not what I'm after. I'm not vindictive or hateful on that level. And by golly, I have enough going on with my health and things that I'm running and doing that I do not need the drama. None of us do. As a society, whether as a whole or as patient groups, we cannot make excuses for sexism or sexual harassment. We must call these issues out. Just like with ableism, we experience at the hands of people who do not understand, we have to call out this behavior so it can be corrected. Ignoring it as a courtesy only allows it to get worse and for more people to be violated. And again, just like with our illnesses, sharing our stories helps people feel less alone. When I've shared my experiences with this person and experiences I know of with people, they have felt redeemed and like their gut reactions to comments or questions have been validated. I, um, earlier this year in October, when Me Too kind of was, was starting to get big, I reposted um, the the link from last February and named this person publicly on social media. This was met with a number of responses from shocked to shared experiences and more, and eventually victim-blaming mentality set in from people that I really trusted. Um, you had some men saying, oh, I'm so glad that's not me, like, that that's not what I'm here for. I don't see patient communities as dating sites. And it's not the time for self-congratulatory applause either. Um, as a sex educator, as someone who believes in sex positivity and believing in victims, it really disturbed me to see comments like these from people I considered my friends. I cried and I screamed because I didn't grasp how someone I trusted, someone who shared other uncomfortable experiences with this man, could ask questions of me and others like, did we ask him to stop? I couldn't let these comments go unchecked. You know me. Um, No one's story about harassment or other sexual violence should be policed. A person should be believed, regardless of how much they fought back, quote-unquote, against someone else. Because you don't know what you're going to do in that moment. And being someone who was abused for over 20 years, I know that. I know that every time I've been in a situation, it's different. 
my reaction is different. Depends on where I'm at in a room, how other interactions have gone throughout the day, whatever. It, it, there are so many factors that it's impossible to predict. Even the same thing in a similar situation will have a completely different result for me with regards to whether I, I exhibit fight, flight, freeze, or fawn um, responses. And I, I think most often I aim for fawn because that's what you do when you're an abusive, when, when you are in an abusive parent-child relationship to protect yourself. Because if you fawn all over the attacker, then they're not going to hurt you. Or, or at least that's what you think. Um, and that's, you know, that can sometimes lead to some Stockholm Syndrome type stuff and, and taking action to please an abuser that winds up hurting other people. You know, I was, I was very emotionally harmful to my little sister as we were growing up because it pleased my mom. And... It's something that I will never forgive myself for. But you also don't know how you're going to react in that moment. And no child, um, especially, this is a bit of a tangent, obviously, but, you know, no child should have to be in a position where they have to think about, oh, like, is what is making my mother happy hurting my sister? And there were plenty of times where I basically told my mother to go fuck herself, um, not least of which when I showed up and, and surprisingly moved my sister out of the house um, without any warning to my mother, who passive aggressively took down a sign that said family off the wall. I swear to God, I couldn't write this shit. Um, where were we? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too stuff. <laughs> so, you know, people making victim blaming comments, I called that shit out. And... Could I have handled it better? Could I have messaged that person? Sure. Um, that person could have talked to me like a like a normal person. For someone who, you know, thinks that people should talk in private, they really went out on a limb, I think, commenting some of that shit on a public Facebook post instead of messaging me privately. Or, you know, for the year or so I'd been talking about it with this person at various events or through text message, they could have asked me then. But no, they chose to do it at a point when I am asserting myself, asserting being a victim and friends of a victim. And I didn't react great because, frankly, I, no one would. Um People were messaging me about who the fuck is this person that's making these comments. This is awful. I am so sorry. Like, do you need anything from me? And those are very rare kinds of messages for me to get, save from a couple of people. And um, the fact that I was getting them about this person is very alarming. Um. You know, people know that I speak my mind and know that my history of abuse combined with chronic pain and limited energy is why. Um, it, I, 
for a few months, I was feeling out of place in, in the arthritis community because most people, it seems, in the community just want everyone to get along. And that's not real life. That doesn't help fight for new bills to help entice people to go into rheumatology because of our giant physician shortage, especially in the pediatric rheumatology world. It doesn't stop bills like H.R. 620 from fucking up the ADA and how it's enforced. It Being nice to everyone doesn't protect us. Um, and again, I can say this as someone who constantly went into fawn mode over my abuser growing up, it doesn't protect you. Um, you may think it does physically at the moment, but emotionally you get fucked up. Um, and it's the same thing on the larger scale. You can't, you can't expect political action to happen by being nice to everyone. That's not how the world works. Um, do I wish it was? Maybe. But then again, I don't think anyone would say shit when people are being horrible. Um, we'd just be like, oh, well, he's just having a bad day. And that's fucking ridiculous. Anyway. I lost several friends during this exchange um, because of speaking out, of setting boundaries, of, <sighs> of even saying that this person, um, A.B., is a predator. A few weeks after this, I received an email from a person trying to explain that this was kind of the final straw on a number of things they disliked about what I had done. And while they think my voice needs to be heard, they said they found me to be a little, quote, too much. They also said I talk about being queer a lot, which apparently feels exclusionary to people who aren't queer. And that's just fucked up. I'm sorry. If you think that it feels exclusionary, then I don't want you to be my friend. Talking about issues that don't affect you isn't exclusionary. Talking about issues that don't affect you helps you understand how the world works for people that are affected by it. It's how we gain empathy and allies. And, and frankly, you know, I watched the trailer for the new Queer Eye for the Straight Guy this morning. It crossing those boundaries so that people understand that experience and remove misconceptions from their mind and can help carry that forward into other interactions that they have. That's how change happens. It's not by ignoring things you don't want to hear. And there's time for self-care and taking a time out and relaxing and stepping away from technology for a night or a weekend or whatever. But it's not from stepping away from people that are saying things you would rather not be exposed to because you don't want to know the reality. And you don't get to call yourself an ally when you act like that. When you say that someone posting about their queerness, posting about being trans 
or gender fluid or pansexual or a sex educator or identifying more as disabled than chronically ill, you don't get to say that that's wrong. And, and frankly, I don't think you get to say whether or not that's really for you. You have to start listening to people who are marginalized in ways you are not. Whether that's me listening to people of color or my mostly abled husband listening to experiences I have. Um, that's, that's how we work and that's how we grow. It's bullshit to act like it's not okay. <laughs> Within the next few days after that email or after the event, I don't frankly remember. Um, I can hardly remember if I ate today. I didn't yet because it's 949. Um, but, um, within a few days, the person who said I was too much, I was being too queer, and the person who was victim blaming, who said they didn't interact with the sexual harasser on social media, they didn't follow each other at all, which, fact-checked, they did, they started joking around with the sexual harasser. Being buddy-buddy. I've had people message me and ask me why I'm not following them anymore. And it's because, frankly, I have to do what I need to do for my health, whether it's mental, physical, whatever. And seeing people that I thought I trusted and I thought I knew interact with someone who's a sexual harasser when I very blatantly stated a bajillion times on social media, messaged people the story, etc. about him when they're still being his friend, it's fucked up. And it's harmful as fuck. Um, you know, what interaction I had like that recently, the person was like, really, that's why you're gonna not follow me? That's ridiculous. And I was like, I don't know what about taking care of myself is ridiculous. Um, I don't even know what happened. I try to stay out of it because, like, it's all drama. Like, that that kind of reaction, especially from a man who this was, that kind of reaction is part of how this shit continues to perpetrate itself. It's a cycle. And... You have to stop that cycle. You have to listen to people. I had messaged this person back in September, the story about all this, because they were asking about a giant medical conference that this person was supposedly barred from and then reinvited to at a university that already has a bad history with taking sexual violence seriously on the West Coast. And I explained to this person, look, was it a good experience to go to that conference? Sure. But I can't in good conscience recommend it to people because, one, their accessibility is shit. Two, people don't give a shit that patients are there often. They, they talk down to you. And three, no one in the upper echelon of the staff 
who knows, who have known for several years about this man being a sexual harasser. They don't care. They re-invited him to the conference in 2017 after supposedly barring him in 2016 because I was like, excuse me, why the fuck is he in a position of power when we know that he continues to sexually harass people? So this person that messaged me, they had known, at least if they read that link, for months about this interaction between the sexual harasser and a bunch of cute girls. But then I'm, I'm the problem because I'm not following him. Because I'm not supporting him. And that's fucked up. You do not get to tell a victim that they are inappropriate for not supporting you and following you and whatever when your interactions are constantly with a sexual harasser. That's not okay. I used to find comfort <laughs> in the arthritis community. It used to be the place I could go on social media to talk about things that other people didn't get. And now, uh, over a decade after starting to write about my experiences, Many of the things that I encounter are not just arthritis things. They're things that cancer patients deal with, that congenital heart defect patients deal with. And I find more comfort in that cross-pollination of patients and our experiences than I think I ever could in one community alone, especially a community that refuses to listen to issues like racism and sexual harassment and gender and LGBTQ stuff. They don't want to hear it. They think it's too much. So why would I be in that, in that community anyway? Am I still friends with many people from the community? Sure. I am because I'm friends with them and I appreciate them and care about them. And at least to this point, they haven't shown me that they suck. So, (laughs) but I'll be honest, uh, it hurts to know that these old friends and this creepy ass dude are there. It hurts to know that I won't go or apply to certain conferences because I know there will be awkward exchanges. Even when I do apply, um, I know that these people have an influence and may say, oh, you know what, the, that person's just too angry all the time. They're too queer, etc., etc." 
and then I won't be able to partake in events that I love. And I mean, this this asshole and his defenders ruined that major medical conference for me. Something that I was so excited about. Not just about meeting other patients and the cross-pollinization and talking to providers and other stakeholders that weren't patients and, and us coming together and trying to fix things. But then I look at how this university handled and continues to handle the Brock Turner case. And it makes me want to vomit. <laughs> like literally vomit. I will say, thankfully, that after all of this kind of happened for a little bit, Anyway, until winter started, my pain went down because I wasn't holding in emotions and concerns of that nature about these people. I was done giving a shit what they thought. And you know, I I put off that attitude like, I don't give a fuck what you think. I do. A lot. Um, To the point where it's it stops me in my tracks a lot because I can't imagine what other people um, might think of what I'm doing, etc. And so then I just stop or I don't act or it takes me forever to get back to emails. <laughs> I mean, there, there are other things with the emails, but <laughs> my social media accounts went to being back to what they should always have been, which is a way for me to talk about and to the world and I don't sit here worrying about how other people are perceiving what I'm saying or people who think it's shitty that I subtweet like fuck you (laughs) subtweeting allows people that aren't in similar positions of power to be able to say this is not right and frankly for a lot of things subtweeting is me Essentially being kind of uh, triggered, not in not my PTSD, but, well, sometimes. Uh, but just uh, emotionally activated because one person said something, and that reminds me of the time these five other people said something or did something along the same lines, and then it gives me a chance to talk about all of them. So when I'm subtweeting, it's not necessarily that I don't want to say, hey... Show one show shocks. You shock. Why won't you do the things? It's, hey, this is a systemic problem. I, I found a tweet at the end of October that um, I think kind of signifies my attitude about the whole thing, about the email from the one friend, about the victim blaming from another friend, about the why the hell don't you follow me from the other friend, and and it's something that I love, and it's it's in the link. Well, most of this is in the link. Um, but it's it's a tweet from Kristen underscore Arnett um, from October 27th. Overheard the Dunkin' Donuts cashier tell someone, if you don't like your content, you're not my audience. And now I'm saying that to everyone. And I love that. I absolutely love that. I think the thing about all this is you can share experiences with people 
illnesses with people, but you don't necessarily get along with them. You know, I, I stopped interacting and being friends with a lot of people who are Trump supporters. They still have the same illnesses, similar illnesses that I have. We could still talk about a lot of things, but if you believe in someone who's taking away my rights systematically and very quickly, I don't, I don't need to be your friend. Period. Uh, people you share things with and those you feel are your friends don't always overlap. It's more like a Venn diagram. And that doesn't mean you aren't acquaintances. We just can't all be friends. And that's okay. Um, I think for me, part of what this experience and and kind of the last year has, has solidified is what I see friends as. I see friends as support, as people to enjoy time with, as people to support. But I also see friends as people who call each other on their shit, who hold each other accountable and say, I'm sorry, actually XYZ is transmisic or ableist. And we have a conversation about it and we move on and do better. Friends help us grow in an emotional way that that families can't, that acquaintances can't, because they know you in a different way. And sometimes that's not what other people think friendship is, and that's okay. No one's idea of friendship has to be the same. But it's important to recognize and to think about what you see friendship as. Do you see it as a way to grow emotionally and hold people accountable? Or do you see it as a way to just look at other people's cute guinea pig pictures? There's no thing that says both of these have to be exclusive. Again, they can overlap. You can Venn diagram this shit. And it's, it's hard. I'm still upset about it. Um, I, there was obviously conversation that went on behind my back as a part of all this, too. Um, there are organizations that I don't really work with because of their affiliation with these people. And events I probably won't be invited back to because I stood up for myself and my friends. (laughs) And that's hard. That's really hard. At the same time, I could see it as a blessing. I'm not going to Pollyanna this shit up, but, you know, maybe that's one more conference I don't have to go to this year or or two more away events I don't have to try to fit into my schedule. Away events. <laughs> Trips. Um, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with... 
maybe doing a little less, but doing what I do more fully, enjoying it and participating in it in a way that gives me joy and peace and fulfillment. And I don't mean peace like kumbaya, motherfucking standing around a fire. I mean peace as in knowing that I'm doing the right thing, as in knowing I'm right where I should be. And that's important. I don't really have a way to close this out right now. (laughs) I could have thought of it. Um... But frankly, I'm recording this all in one take. And I don't know. The brain fog doesn't help. (laughs) But uh, think about who you support, why you support them, and what you would do if you heard that they had done something wrong. In the sex positive community, we've recently gone through this with Reed Mahalko, um, who it came out had um, uh, essentially worn someone down to the point where they felt they had to give him uh, a hand job. Um, But he asked for more. He asked incessantly. And this person thought they had to engage in that. They they didn't feel safe. They felt that they would have more business connections, etc. And they felt forced into that position. And Reed fucked up. And... My my sex geek shirt is sitting in the trash. I've ripped the sex geek label off my computer. I don't the the way he responded to the situation now that it's come out, I think it's like eight years after the fact, was really shitty. He made jokes. Um and even with people serving as accountability buddies for him, he still fucked it up. And that's not okay. I wish that we had a way to create some sort of healing roadmap for a community. Not for a victim or victims. They get to go through what they need to go through on their own time. The community should too. But I think there are ways we have to create accountability steps in the aftermath of some of these events. When people like Reed, at least supposedly, uh, profess that they want to change, that they want to make amends. I think there are ways we have to consider, regardless of what community we're in, how we handle sexual harassment and consent violations and all of that. 
I think we have to also consider how we create a way back into the community for people. And, and each individual can decide kind of those things for themselves, but I think it would be great to have a roadmap for a community as a whole. Um, like, how do we decide this person has fulfilled the first step in trying to come back? Is it in their apology? Is it working with other people on how to be better accountable? Is it in canceling workshops instead of trying to keep them read? <sighs> I don't know. I know that for me, when someone has violated my trust, whether that's as a sexual harasser, as someone who defends them, as someone who commits sexual violence, whether or not they uh, supposedly knowingly did it, um, as someone who abuses their power, because of my history, I um, tend to drop them like a fucking hot potato because I kept allowing my mother back in and giving her more chances and more chances and another chance and one last chance and, well, maybe another one. And um, that burned me bad. I'm still dealing with it. I will still be dealing with it till the day I fucking die and then I'll hopefully haunt her shit if she's still alive. <laughs> But um, we, I think we have to consider those things, whether that's from an individual level. Like, I, I don't think I'd ever attend anything Reed was a part of again. Um, you know, not, not attending his workshops and things like that. Um, I probably would look down on conferences who continue to allow him to be a part of them. And I would probably have to consider whether or not I wanted to be a part of those conferences then. Because um, just like with with organizations like The Mighty, giving credence and support to um, hate-based organizations like Autism Speaks, uh, what you do when you allow somebody to continue to be a part of your organization, your conferences, etc., is you validate them as a resource, I don't know about you, I don't want sexual harassers or abusers of any kind to be validated in that way. I don't want hate organizations that say torture is the way to cure autism to be validated in that kind of way. Um, there's a lot of people that shouldn't be validated in that kind of way in a lot of organizations. Um which, by the way, I'll put a link to my blacklist of organizations in the show notes, too, because it's big and it's growing. Um, but yeah, I guess that's the takeaway for today, is to consider what you would want to see from somebody who has committed a violation, who has breached trust, and what would it take for them to win your trust back, to gain it back? Would you ever be able to give it back? Knowing the answer to these kinds of questions is a good way to set boundaries for ourselves. And I think 
the more boundaries that we set, the better we can take care of ourselves. And that's really what I'd like to see us all do. Um, we need to take better care of ourselves, period. And I hope that over the next two weeks, this guides you and helps give you ideas on how you can assert your boundaries and what to do when those boundaries are crossed so that you can take better care of you. I don't have anything else to say this week other than that I love you and I hope that you take care of yourself. Chronic Sex is produced every two weeks by me, Kirsten Schultz. I use music from Pottington Bear because they're awesome. You can find show notes and more over at chronicsex.org. If you're enjoying listening to the show, please subscribe, and that way you won't miss a single episode. If you're on iTunes, it'd be really chill if you take a minute to rate the show, too. Not only does it give me great feedback, but it also helps the podcast get seen by people who may not know it exists, and that's pretty cool. You can support us over at patreon.com slash As always, you can find links to everything at chroniccex.org, from social media accounts to resources to sex toy reviews and more. Until next time, please take care of yourself and remember that you are a freaking badass.